And good evening, everybody. Here we go. It is another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a football Friday, January 29th. January, geez, September 29th, 2017, as we move forward into October and fall. Beautiful fall day here in New York. Lots to get to on the show. We got a little bit of baseball as there's pretty much all the playoff spots are present and accounted for except for the wild card of the National League. We'll get to NFL picks this week. Focus on a couple of college games of note. And I was remiss in the fact that I said I was going to give you a great show to watch on Monday's show, and uh, I forgot to do that. So we will get to that, um, as well as another edition or installment, if you will, of Ad Nauseam. That, of course, taking us out was Barbarism Begins at Home by the Smiths. And uh, before we get to uh, the Mets and the disaster that is uh, Fred and Jeff Wilpon, the owners, um, we're going to try to put to bed here the... Uh, protest, kneeling, Colin Kaepernick, other NFL players, uh, and our the president's uh, and his ilk stance on this. So, um, as we mentioned on Monday, you know Trump has co-opted this thing to try to paint it as somehow anti-American. And when I say it, I mean players kneeling during the national anthem. As anti-American, anti-troops, somehow, anti-veterans. Remember, of course, this is a guy who essentially was a draft dodger, okay? I hope your heel spurs have healed. I hope you're feeling okay, sweetie. You're going to be okay? That's why he couldn't go to Vietnam, because he had heel spurs, Mr. Tough Guy. As Tim Thomas once referred to Kenyon Martin, uh... He's a Fugazi tough guy. That that would be uh, my take <clears throat> on Mr. Trump. But in any event, um, so Eric Reed, who is a safety for the 49ers uh, and started, uh, was the second player, I believe, to uh, join Colin Kaepernick in this uh, endeavor last year, uh, wrote a very compelling, articulate, well-thought-out op-ed in the Times uh, this past week. So... I'm not going to read you the whole thing. Uh, I encourage you to look it up online. Easy to find. Just pop in Eric Reed, R-E-I-D, op-ed, and you'll see it. But I pulled it up because I wanted to talk about just some of the crux of it here. Uh, Just some of the the, the meat of it, if you will. So um, he was spurred to action um, because last year, uh, in the summer of 2016, uh, several unarmed black men had died at the hands of police, one of which was a gentleman by the name of Alton Sterling in his hometown of Baton Rouge. And so uh, he played at LSU. He's from Baton Rouge. Understandably, that hit home for him. Um, and so he wanted to do something. And uh, he says a few weeks later during the preseason, my teammate Colin Kaepernick sat on the bench uh, to protest police brutality. He didn't notice at the time, neither did the media. It wasn't until the third preseason game that it started to gain attention and the backlash against Kaepernick began. Um, so he says that he approached Kaepernick the Saturday before their next game to discuss how he could get involved uh, and how we could make a more powerful and positive impact, as he calls it, the social justice movement. 
We spoke at length about, now I'm quoting him here, we spoke at length about many of the issues that face our community, including systemic oppression against people of color, police brutality, and the criminal justice system. Now, this part is extremely important because if you are of the belief that none of these things exist, particularly against people of color, systemic oppression, police brutality, and the criminal justice system, if you don't think that those things exist, then there's really, you can't have a discussion and an open, engaging argument about this. Or not even an argument. It doesn't need to be an argument or a discussion. If that's your baseline, that those things don't exist, then unfortunately anybody who looks at it that way is not going to be swayed in any way. Now, you know, it seems so far 50-50 in the country, as as a lot of things are, on this issue. 50% of people believe that players have every right to protest this way, and 50%, of course, think they're, you know, spoiled, entitled athletes, and how dare that. Um, But in any event, he goes on. After hours of careful consideration, and even a visit from Nate Boyer, a retired Green Beret and former NFL player. You know what I find so interesting about all these people that get uh, all angry about this and say it's a dis- disrespect. How they dare they disrespect our flag and our country? I would grant. I would guarantee you the majority of these people never served a second in the military or sacrificed a damn thing for this country. Now, I'm not pretending I have because I haven't. But our president, who loves to pretend he's Mr. Patriot, again, got out of Vietnam because he had heel spurs. And I think, obviously he didn't know it at the time, but when Samuel Johnson once said, the last refuge of a scoundrel or patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel. I mean, that, that line could not apply anymore, unfortunately, to the current president. But in any event, so they, they consulted with a former Green Beret, right? And said, hmm, what should we do? They came to the conclusion we should kneel rather than sit the next day during the anthem as a peaceful protest. We chose to kneel because it's a respectful gesture. I remember thinking our posture was like a flag flown at half-mask to mark a tragedy. Now, you could maybe quibble with that analogy. Okay. But again, how this is not peaceful, I don't know. He goes on to write, It should go without saying that I love my country and I'm proud to be an American. But to quote James Baldwin, Exactly for this reason I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. And again, that's all this is. So you cannot be for free speech only when it's convenient for you, when only if you agree with the message. That's not what free speech is about. And listen, I understand the lefty, the left is now, unfortunately, they're the extreme left, is as guilty as the right is on this topic, where, you know, any kind of thing that they don't agree with, they try to tamp down. It's wrong on both sides. So, I mean, again, I'm not going to give you the whole article here. Go read it. He makes a very compelling case here uh, and some very cogent points. Um, And, again, it's pretty simple, people. This is a peaceful protest. It's about free speech. The president 
has so many other things that he should be worried about right now. This should should not even be on his radar. But even if it is, how how unseemly is it that a president of the United States would try to stifle somebody's free speech because they take a stance that he doesn't agree with? It's disgusting. It's flat out disgusting. All right. That's it on that topic. Moving on. And there's really no good way to segue. So we're just going to move on. Try to keep it a little lighter here for the rest of the show. So interesting article out of Newsday this week and then picked up by The Post as well that uh, several times over the past couple of years, Sandy Alderson and the rest of the Mets front office and even supposedly Jeff Wilpon, the son of uh, principal owner Fred Wilpon, uh, had wanted to fire Terry Collins for numerous reasons, mostly because of his horrendous tactical decisions and his complete incompetence when handling the Mets' bullpen. And now I'm paraphrasing there. I'm I'm editorializing, but that's kind of the gist of it. And uh, only to be overturned or overruled, rather, by Fred Wilpon, the senior uh, owner of the Mets. And so to the point where when Sandy Alderson was telling him, don't use J. Roos Familia in non-safe situations or stop overusing him. And by the way, this goes back to the World Series in 2015 when Collins brought him in with a six-run lead in one of the playoff games uh, against the Dodgers. Uh, and I was texting my buddy and saying, "What is Terry out of his mind? What if tomorrow night's game is a close game? Why would you bring your closer in with a six-run lead? This makes no sense. It's been proven time and time again that closers typically do not perform as well in non-safe situations because it's like an adrenaline rush thing. And even if you know he gets through that ninth inning, but it's a slog and he's got to throw, say, 25, 30 pitches, it's safe and reasonable to assume that he may not be as sharp the next night if he's needed in a one-run game or a two-run game or a three-run game. What would qualify, of course, as a safe situation. So Terry basically ignored Sandy Alderson's pleas and or directives because he knew he had Fred Wilpon's backing. And this, again, friends, is the problem with the Mets, as always, and that's the owners. They are the worst owners in sports, plain and simple. I would have said for years, 40 years rooting for the Lions, perhaps William Clay Ford was the worst owner in sports. If you wanted to go purely on results and record, I think I'd have a, you could make a pretty strong argument. James Dolan certainly would give the Will Ponds a run for their money. Actually, I would have to say James Dolan's probably the worst owner in sports. Will Ponds are a close second, though. And this is why. Because there's never a unified or cohesive message. There's never a sense of accountability around the team. There's no culture of doing things the right way. Only when it's convenient. And this is why the Mets, except for a few outlier years, when all the stars align and everything lines up perfectly, will never be a serious contender as long as the Wilpons own this team. It's never going to happen. You cannot have a situation where the owner is overruling the general manager and the manager about what he wants to do with the manager and the manager knows it so that he ignores the general manager. You can't have it. And expect to be any good. And I understand the New York media has bought Terry Collins' act hook, line, and sinker because he's great with them. 
And I understand the injuries were a major reason the Mets stunk this year. But again, go back to the very beginning of Terry Collins' tenure here. okay? And I understand the talent wasn't great. But the Mets have been a lousy team from a fundamental standpoint the second he showed up. And that, my friends, has nothing to do with talent at all. Talent and playing the game the right way are, are mutually exclusive. You do not need to be talented to know how to run the bases, to know what base to throw to, to know how to hit a cutoff man. It helps, but you don't have to be supremely talented to do that. If you're in the major leagues, you should have enough talent to be able to do those things. Or if you're a pitcher, to be able to bunt and sacrifice and move runners over and field your position competently. All all things that the Mets have struggled with mightily since Collins has been here. And isn't it interesting, you know, and again, maybe maybe Daniel Murphy is committing one stupid base running mistake after the next with the Nationals. Certainly hasn't cost them too many games, has it? So... Again, this idea that, oh, poor Terry, he got a raw deal. And you know what? And you know I love the Mets announcers more than anybody. I love Gary Cohn, Keith Hernandez, and Ron Darling. But, you know, Gary said this the other night on the telecast. Oh, you know, well, Terry took over in tough times. Again, that's true. But this idea he wasn't de- dealt a fair hand and, oh, poor Terry Collins, please. He's managed more games than any other manager in Mets history. More than David Johnson. David Johnson, who never won less than, what, 88 games in a year? And last year, the Mets you know, managed to scratch out 88 wins. And, and the, the New York media, baseball media, practically threw a parade for Terry Collins. I don't want to hear it. He got plenty of time here. They had one good year. And then one okay year. That's it. You want to talk about a guy getting a raw deal? Willie Randolph got way more of a raw deal than Terry Collins ever did as the Mets fired him at 3 o'clock in the morning on a West Coast trip. And then replaced him, by the way, with the ridiculously underwhelming Jerry Manuel. It'll be interesting to see who the Mets hire because it appears Terry Collins will not be back next year. Same thing with uh, Dan Ward and the pitching coach, which, by the way... Look, if you're going to hire a new manager, you've got to let the new manager pick his own coaches. So if he wants to keep Dan Worthen, he should be able to keep Dan Worthen. All the pitchers want to keep him. Dan Worthen, it's not Dan Worthen's fault the pitchers got hurt. Of course, the Mets are keeping head trainer Ray Ramirez for some reason. Well, because they're the Mets. So, I, I mean, listen, I don't know that it's... I can't, you, I can't, I'm not around the team enough. I don't know. You can't say necessarily or unequivocally that it's Ray Ramirez's fault all the injuries, but it's not not his fault. I mean, he doesn't get to get a lot of credit for the health of the team, does he? Since injuries are an issue every year, and again, yes, some injuries are unavoidable, but then it's how does the team handle them moving forward, which the Mets have been a complete and utter joke when it comes to that category. So, look, these are all, we, we've, we've harped on these topics all summer long, I just, again, I found it interesting, this new little wrinkle that, you know, the manager's basically going behind the general manager's back because he knows he's got one of the owners in his corner. It's just so very classic Mets. I mean, it's just so classic Mets. And again, until the Wilpons are out of here, which apparently will be never, but until they're gone, this is unfortunately, as Mets fans, what we have to deal with. We have to hope 
everything lines up just so and just right. Because Sandy Alderson is about as visionless as it gets. Can't wait for the whopping off-season moves he makes this year. Right? He's stayed conservative. He doesn't want to, you know, shake up anything. And again, don't give me Cespedes. That's one move. You did it twice. You've done Cespedes twice. That doesn't count. That's one thing you've done. That's your one big splash in four years since you've been here, or however it's been longer than that. And again, only in Met logic does it make absolute sense to fire the pitching coach. So I guess Dan Worthen was really smart in 15 where all the pitchers were healthy, but he was really dumb this year when they were all hurt. But we're going to get rid of him, but we'll keep the trainer who's been here for whatever, eight years, and the Mets have had issues with injuries every single year. That makes sense. One guy's got a track record of success in more than one guy, Ramirez, who has zero track record of success. Yet that's the guy we keep and we'll get rid of the other guy. And we won't even let the new manager, by the way, choose his own staff. Typical Mets. Makes absolutely no sense. Again, bizarro world. Just complete opposite of, of anything that is logical or makes any sense. All right, as far as the rest of Major League Baseball is concerned, uh, Yankees won today. There's still three back in the loss column with three to go. You know, barring a complete collapse here by the Red Sox. Now, they are playing the Astros, who are good. Uh, the Astros are trying to go for the best record overall. They're only a game behind the Indians when it comes to that. Um, but, you know, the Red Sox just need to win one more game, I believe, and then they've clinched the division. Um, and I think probably, uh, as my man Justin said, who's a big Yankee fan, he, he'd rather the Yankees actually probably make it as a wild card because their, their chances of beating the Twins in a one game are probably better than having to go face you know either the Indians or the Astros. So, uh, you know, the, 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 and by the way, speaking of the Twins, congratulations. They have clinched. So they will set it up so that Irvin Santana will pitch uh, in their, their one-game play-in game. Um, again, not that he's great. Uh, and he got off to a really good start. You know, he has not been nearly as dominant as he was. You know, look, Irvin Santana is a third starter on a good team in a good rotation. He's the ace for the Twins because that's the best they got. Uh, to quote my man Nipsey Russell from Wildcats, that's the best guy we got. Um, but, uh, you know, and the Yankees just beat him uh, last week. But you never know. I mean, he, he's, he gives him a fighting chance, put it that way. Now, the history between the Twins and the Yankees, even when the Twins were pretty good, you know, when they had like Joe Nathan and stuff, uh, the Yankees still always took care of the Twins in the playoffs. So uh, history is not on the Twins' side. The matchups are probably not on the Twins' side. I suspect you'll see Severino for the Yankees against Santana. That certainly is a mismatch on paper. And look, the Yankees' lineup is, is hot right now. I mean, Judge is back on the beam. He's over 50 home runs. Congratulations to him. He broke McGuire's rookie record of 49. Uh, Sanchez, although his fielding continues to be atrocious, is hitting. Uh, Greg Bird has provided a little pop back off the DL. Uh, Even Ellsbury has been kind of hot lately. So, I mean, look, the Yankees are loaded up and down the line. Gregorius has had a great year. Aaron Hicks is back. Uh, He's, you know, done a nice job. Um... I mean, the Yankees lineup is good one to nine. It just is. You know, there's a couple of guys that are on great chase Headley. I know he's been hot in the second half, whatever. Um, but, you know, again, he's not an automatic out. You know, Todd Frazier, despite his 210 batting average, is still a threat to hit a home run. He's not an automatic out. 
So, you know, Yankees lineup's good. The bullpen's good. I've been saying it all year. Not surprised they made the playoffs, even though it's supposed to be a rebuilding year. Uh, so that's what you got going on. So the American League, uh, all the playoff teams have been decided. It's just a question, really, of whether or not the Yankees or the Red Sox win that division. But again, Red Sox, I believe, just need to win one more game, uh, and they will clinch the division. Uh, they face the Astros tonight. Let's see who is on the hill for the Red Sox tonight. We've got uh, Doug Fister versus Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton, by the way, quietly has had a very good year for the Astros at thirteen and seven with a three sixty three ERA. Uh, Fister, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he had a nice run there for the Red Sox, kind of come back down to earth his last couple of starts, um, but. Let me see. So the Yankees, Red Sox are ninety-two and sixty-seven. The Yankees are ninety and seventy. So the Red Sox win one more game that gets them to ninety-three. The Yankees only have two more games left. Yeah. So the Red Sox just need to win one more game, and then they'll 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 clinch the division. So let's just assume that's going to happen. You got the Red Sox, you got the Indians, Astros, um, uh. Yankees, first wild card, Twins, second wild card. So that's your American League playoff picture. National League, uh, it's pretty much all over there except for the second wild card. So the Cubs have clinched the division. Nationals clinched it a million years ago. We know that. Same with the Dodgers. Diamondbacks have clinched his first wild card. You have the Rockies with a two-game lead over the Brewers. uh, And... A let's see, they're eighty six and seventy three, and a four game lead over the Cardinals. Um, Dodgers play the Rockies tonight. Now, obviously, the Dodgers have not been hot lately, but tough game for the Rockies. Uh, Hyunjin Roo against Chad Bettis, um, and then Brewers Cardinals tonight. Chase Anderson, who's had a very nice year for the Brewers at eleven and four, the two eighty one ERA against former Met prospect. Uh, John Gant for St. Louis, probably making an, uh, a fill-in start, I would imagine, for a game of this magnitude. So, um, but listen, give the Cardinals credit. They're 82-77. and 77. They're going to have another winning season for whatever it is. It's 19th out of 20th year. I mean, you know, this was not a great vintage year for the Cardinals, but they hung around, and they're still not dead yet with three games to go. So, give them credit. Again, Cardinals complete opposite of the Mets in all the good ways as an organization. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with some football right after this. Here on a football Friday edition of Jamal About Sports. Taking us out of break was a little Master Blaster jamming by Stevie Wonder. All right, we get to the NFL. We had a game last night, uh, Chicago Green Bay. Green Bay won in a walk after uh, Chicago pretty much uh, handed the game to the Packers early. Um, turnover on their first possession. 
turnover, I think, on their third possession. First possession, Glennon, Mike Glennon, the quarterback for the Bears, held the ball way too long, got sacked, fumbled, Packers recovered. Um, big, the big controversy or story now in Chicago is uh, when do they bench Mike Glennon uh, and insert Mitchell Trubisky, the, you know, the, the quarterback from North Carolina, the rookie that they traded up in the draft to get. Uh, and I mean, I would say at this point they're, they're one in three. Um, you may as well. Uh, Glennon certainly did not look good last night. It's not all his fault, though. Uh, the Bears' offensive line is not particularly good, uh, despite what Tony Romo said last night. I, I, I'm not really quite sure what film he's watching. Uh, well, and, and by the way, maybe the more most overrated announcer in the history of sports. I mean, I. But the guy hadn't even done a game, and all the, the TV critics were writing about what a great announcer Tony Romo is. Then he did one game, and they were waxing poetic about what a great Tony, announcer Tony Romo is. He's okay. You know, he's all right. He's not great. I mean, he, he doesn't let the game breathe, that's for sure. I mean, he, I mean, now, listen, to be fair, most of these guys don't anymore. Um, but he's all right. I mean, he's had a couple of good spots in some, not last night, but in games prior where he's called things out before they happen because he can tell, obviously having been a player and a quarterback by formation, what a team might want to do. So give him credit for that, for sure. Um, But he's not the greatest. He's okay. He's tolerable. But in any event, um, so, you know, look, the Bears have no receivers to speak of at all. I mean, none. None. You know, they let Alshon Jeffrey go. Kevin White, you know, the, the rookie high draft pick from West Virginia a couple years ago, has never been able to stay on the field. You know, the rest of the receiving core is very underwhelming. They haven't really incorporated Adam Shaheen, the big tight end, out of that Division II school, the rookie, yet into the passing game. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't understand what they're doing with Tariq Cohen yet. He needs to get more touches. You know, Jordan Howard is a good back, but look, if you play the Bears, you just stack the box and take away the running game. I mean, and you dare Mike Lennon, and if it's going to be Mitchell Trubisky, Mitchell Trubisky to beat you because the receivers don't scare anybody. They don't really, you know, Zach Miller's an okay tight end. He's not great. You know, Deion Sims is more of a blocking tight end. I Their passing game is just not that great, and their offensive line is not that great. I'm sorry, Bobby Massey, who is you know sort of a cast off from the Cardinals, is not a top quality right tackle. Charles Leno Jr. is not a top quality left tackle. You know, I don't care how 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 ornery Kyle Long is because he's Howie Long's son at right guard. You know, he's a nice player, okay. You know, Cordy Whitehair, the center, okay, he's all right. Josh Sitton, you know, Josh Sitton's best days were with the Packers, the left guard. So their line's not great. Now, you know, the other big play in this game was uh, Danny Trevathan, the linebacker for the Bears, uh, absolutely crushed Devontae Adams, a wide receiver. He caught a pass. He was being held up by other players. Play was not whistled dead. Trevathan, full speed, lowered his helmet, crown, right into the face mask of Devontae Adams, Certainly a penalty on the play. Knocked, knocked him out, unfortunately. Mouthpiece went flying. It was, it was, it was scary. It was a scary moment. Carted off the field, you know, on the backboard, the whole nine yards. He did do the thumbs up. 
Uh, apparently, he's out of the hospital now. I, I would imagine he's going to miss at least a couple of games. Um, but, you know, again, it, 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 it brings the question, it, it, are, are they ever going to be able to legislate that kind of stuff out of the game? I understand it was a penalty, and a lot of people are calling it a dirty play, and he should be suspended for the year. Look, the play was not whistled dead. The way the refs ref the games now, where they let players fight for extra yards, they let guys try to rip the ball out, right? They're supposed to let plays go now because every, because all turnovers get reviewed. So unless you want to basically make it like flag football where or like the way they do in practice, I've actually been to an NFL practice. What they do is guy catches the ball, gets wrapped up, they blow the play dead. They don't put him on the ground. That's that's your only option to prevent stuff like that from last night from that happening. I'm not gonna, I'm not saying it happens all the time, but if you want to eliminate that completely out of the game, there's only a couple of different ways to do it. And you want to eliminate the, the the real violent collisions in the NFL. That's how you do it. It's essentially graduated flag football. Wrap the guy up, blow the play dead. You could put a guy on the ground. That's not a penalty. But none of this holding guys up, guys being able to fight for extra yardage, no. That's going to have to go out of the game. You're going to have to get rid of that. People going to want to see that? I don't know. And look, what Trevathan did last night, it looked terrible. I get it. And if that happened to a Lions player, I'd be furious. I get it. The guy doesn't deserve to be suspended for the whole game. They wanted to toss him out of the game last night for that. I guess I could live with it. Although, again, I didn't think it was that dirty. I mean, I mean, sorry. Dirty and a penalty are two different things. Dirty to me implies intent. I don't think his intent was to do what he did. Now, did he want to go in there and jack the guy and knock the ball out? Of course he did. But when you're running full speed... Okay, I know I love how people think it's so easy for these guys who are running, you know, they got a 15, 20 yard head of steam and they try to go and hit a moving target and the guy moves, you know, uh, six inches here or six inches there. I mean, stuff's going to happen. You know, go try and play and see for yourselves what it's like. It's not easy. And I mean, again, these guys are moving at a much faster rate of speed than I certainly ever did. Or most humans on the planet that played football at any level ever do. So, you know. And I wonder if in like 50 years from now, the NFL is going to be looked at the way smoking is looked at now. When people look back and say, how the hell did we allow this to happen? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's a report out now that they may be able to figure out a way to check for CTE uh, now and people that are alive. Um, but then several players came out and said they, they may not not they may not want to even know. And you know, look, I, I mean, I, I don't know that I can blame them. I mean, on the one hand, you'd have to say, you know, what are you crazy? You got and you you want to know, but you know that's your livelihood, and that's all you know. I mean, it's a scary prospect. You know, not everybody's Tony Romo, where they got to go get a, a, a lavish, you know, six or seven million dollars, uh, sal- uh, six or seven figure salary to go be an announcer the second they leave football without ever having worked in TV for one second. So, 
I don't know. We'll see. All right, a couple college games to keep an eye on. It's not a great schedule this weekend for college games, frankly. Uh, two to keep an eye on, though. Georgia, Tennessee, 330 CBS. And then a side note there. So, uh, you know, Vern Lundquist, who used to do all those games with Danielson on CBS for the, those SEC games, uh, retired last year. You know, Vern's done, been around. You know, he's a giant uh, in, the, in, in, in the sport. A true gentleman. A great voice. Uh, you know, he's done the Masters, college football. I mean, he's done every, he's done everything, and done it with grace and class. And we miss him. You know, Brad Nestler is fine. He's a real pro, and he's fine. But watching those a couple of these SEC games so far this year, listening to Danielson and not hearing Vern, it's definitely different. Um, so that game will be the CBS game at three thirty. The SEC game, Georgia versus Tennessee. Georgia undefeated. You know, Tennessee. Are the kings of the close loss um, They've had some epic battles In recent years um, And you know Georgia Has also been the same way Now I understand it's a new era with Kirby Smart Not Mark Richt But just when you start to jump on the Georgia bandwagon They let you down So this will be a good test for them um, I mean Tennessee has not looked great this year Frankly uh, You know they barely beat UMass for crying out loud But uh, you know, you suspect they'll be up for this game. It's obviously a big game, big rivalry game. Um, second game is actually tonight, 1030 uh, East Coast time. USC versus Washington State. Battle of the quarterbacks, Sam Darnold versus uh, Luke Falk for Washington State. And the, the uh, you know, the, um, now I can't remember the, the head coach for Washington State's name. The guy wanted to be... <laughs> Maryland's coach, former guy from Texas Tech. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, you know, Washington State's going to throw the ball about fifty times a game. Mike Leach, jeez, jeez, Louise. Um, yeah. So anyway, you know, that's what he likes to do. They throw the ball all over the place. Should be an interesting game. Uh, USC did not look great last week against Cal, uh, nor did Sam Darnold um, as he tries to, you know. Lead USC to the playoff and or winning a Heisman Trophy. So that'll be a good game to watch. And then, you know, look, I got a, a little shout-out, or not even a shout-out, but a mention of my Maryland Terrapins. You know, we had that great win against Texas to start the year. Starting quarterback Terrell Pegram got hurt. You thought, okay, no big deal because Kasim Hills are going to replace him, the stud true freshman, four-star recruit locally from D.C., could have gone to Alabama, could have gone to Ohio State, stayed in state, went to Maryland. A lot of people thought he should have been the starter coming out of camp anyway. And then, of course, what happens, uh, you know, they roll over Towson, and then he gets hurt in the first quarter last week against Central Florida. Now they got to bring in Max Bortenschlager, <laughs> uh, their third-string quarterback, he, he predictably looked horrible. You could tell that all the air went out of the building the second Hill left the field. And unfortunately, he's out for the rest of the year with an ACL. So Maryland has lost both their, their top two quarterbacks again for the season now. This is like the fourth year in a row something like this has happened. No, I shouldn't say fourth year in a row. But the Maryland has had so many issues with quarterbacks getting hurt. Um, and listen, when you run an offense uh, that demands a lot of zone read and your quarterbacks are running around a lot, Maybe not that surprising. Your quarterbacks get hurt all the time. But, of course, DJ Durkin, the head coach of Maryland, when uh, one of the local writers, in, uh, I think from the Washington Post, the Baltimore Sun, I forget which one, raised that prospect, you know, dismissed it and said, well, a lot of other teams do it. And that's true. There are a lot of other teams that do it. 
But it sure seems to happen in Maryland an awful lot. And it would be interesting to see if offensive guru Walt Bell adapts his precious system at all to fix Max Bordenschlater, to fit Max Bordenschlater, I should say, who is not a zone read quarterback at all. If anything, is a drop back, you know, sort of traditional pocket passer. I don't even know if he's that yet because, you know, frankly, he's got a very limited body of work. He started one game against Nebraska last year. They threw him to the Wolves for some reason. Um, in Nebraska, and predictably he looked horrible. And then, you know, he looked terrible last week coming off the bench against UCF. But uh, we'll see. I mean, they play Minnesota this week. Uh, unfortunately, I believe the Maryland is done winning for the year. I would not be surprised if they lose out. Maybe they could beat Rutgers, maybe. Although the game's in Yankee Stadium, and Rutgers may not be as bad as we thought. They actually gave Nebraska a tough time uh, last week. Not that Nebraska is that great. You know, this is not a vintage Nebraska team, but nevertheless. Uh, so those are the college games to watch. Not much else on the schedule. And now we get to our NFL picks. So we're 2-2 two and two on the year. We went, I mean, sorry, 3-3 three and three on the year. We went 2-1 and one week 1, 1-2 one and two week 2. We did not get any picks in last week, so we didn't do a show. So week 4, first up on the docket, look, i got to put my money where my mouth is. I said on Monday I'm not writing the Giants off after 0-3. Well, this is a chance to prove it to me. Prove it to me, G-Men. I know they're on the road against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay just had their lunch handed to them by Minnesota. And it's funny. a funny thing happened on the way to Jameis Winston's Hall of Fame career, but he has stunk the first uh, two games uh, of the year for Tampa Bay. I mean, they won that game against... Um, Chicago, he didn't do much. He was awful last week against Minnesota. Now I understand Minnesota has a good defense, but let's see. Now they're going to probably, you know, they're going to be angry coming off uh, an embarrassing loss to, to Minnesota. Giants reeling, right? Heartbreaking Lions-esque loss on a 61-yard field goal. I mean, I saw that kick. That looked exactly like the Justin Tucker 61-yard field goal that beat the Lions on Monday Night Football three years ago. Barely made it just inside the right upright. Looked exactly the same. So Giants fans, I feel your pain. But you're getting three. You showed some signs of life with the offense this week. Beckham, two touchdowns. Sterling Shepard, the catch and run long touchdown. Looks like they might give Wayne Gallman a shot here. The rookie running back out of Clemson for some carries in the running game. Darkwa had a couple of decent carries last week. Again, I said this two weeks ago. He needs to play over Paul Perkins. This idea that Paul Perkins is going to be some sort of a dynamic player. Eh -eh. Not behind that line anyway. But give McAdoo credit for this. They did change the game plan. Madden got rid of the ball quick a ton. Tampa Bay got lit up by Case Keenum this week. Lit up. Eli should be able to do some damage. They're getting three. I like the Giants... In game one, plus three in Tampa Bay. I like them to outright win, so I'm going to take them getting three. Game number two, Bengals at Cleveland. Bengals laying three. Look, I'm going to take Cincy here, giving the three points. They had a heartbreaking, soul-crushing loss in Lambeau. Been there. Again, Cincy fans, I feel your pain. But... Some encouraging signs there as well. Dalton looked better. 
offense look better. They're starting to get Joe Mixon involved in the game plan more, getting him more touches, using Giovanni Bernard in the manner in which he should be used, which is as a receiving threat out of the backfield. A.J. Green still a beast. And the Browns are the Browns. Now, you know, they were getting blown out by the Colts. They kind of rallied a little bit late to make it interesting. But, um, and they may be getting Miles Garrett uh, back for the first time this year, the number one overall, overall number one pick out of AM defensive end. But the Browns are still the Browns. They've made some strides. They've certainly increased their talent level, definitely on the defensive side of the ball. But I don't think the Bengals fold just yet. Pittsburgh lost last week. The Ravens lost last week. That division is far from over three week, three games into the season. Things are not, I mean, it's not over for them at 0-3, just like the Giants. You win this week, you're right back in the mix. There's plenty of football left. It's a long season. I know only 16 games, I get it. It's still a long season. Look, just look at the Lions last year. They started two and four. Looks like looked like they were done. They won seven in a row. They were nine and four, sitting in the driver's seat. They lost their last three. They still made the playoffs, but I mean, it's a long season. Coaches always look at it in quarters. Four, 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 four. Bengals get to one and three. You never know. Ravens lose. Steelers lose. They're two and two. You're one and three. You're a game out. Not the end of the world. Worst case scenario, you're two out. You still get to play those teams. All right, they played the Ravens once already, but they still get to play them again. They still get the Steelers twice. Andy Dalton can't be this bad. He looked much better last week against the Packers. And again, if not for some, of course, classic Lambeau, quote-unquote magic, i.e. the referees, uh, the Bengals probably would have won that game. And also Randy Bullock can't make a kick. That's also part of the problem. Why they haven't gotten a different kicker, I don't know. But I'm going to take Cincy here. It scares me a little bit, but I'm going to take him lane three for pick number two. And finally, pick number three, I'm going to take the aforementioned Ravens getting three against the Steelers in Baltimore. Now, Baltimore put up an all-time stinker this past week, except nobody knew about it because the game was in London for some reason. I don't know why we're having to play games in London in week three. And then... On top of that, the game wasn't even televised. You could only watch it through Yahoo on streaming or something like that. So explain something to me, NFL. If it's so important to have these games in London, it's important enough to have them in London, but it's not important enough to put them on television here back home in the United States. Are you kidding me? I mean, if I was a Ravens fan, I, I would imagine it was on locally in Baltimore, and same thing, uh, Jacksonville is who they played, and Jacksonville whomped them. I mean, Blake Bortles went all, went off on what I thought was a good Ravens defense. Clearly, the Ravens were not all that enthused about the prospect of playing in London. They're back now here on their home soil, at home, coming off an embarrassing loss like, like that. Against their heated division rivals, the Steelers. Now, the Steelers are a little ornery themselves. Bad overtime loss against the Bears. But the Ravens are getting three. I think they win outright anyway. I'm going to take the Ravens plus three. So, Giants plus three on the road at Tampa. Cincy minus three on the road at Cleveland. And Ravens plus three at home against Pittsburgh. All right, we'll be back 
with another installment of Ad Nauseum and wrap up the show right after this. Football Friday, little Sugar Hill Gang with Apache. We're going to end the show on a high note, upbeat note. So, another installment of Ad Nauseum. Had a couple of requests actually about this. So, here it goes, my man Justin. Uh, the first one, we're, we got a double shot of Ad Nauseum this week. Uh, and they're, you know, listen, the, the, the source material is endless because generally speaking, 95% of commercials are terrible. Um, but the first one is the Hyundai Sweet Caroline commercial. Um, first of all, what, what, what just an original premise that is. What an original construct to, to bring the song, the Neil Diamond song, Sweet Caroline, into the mix. Um, I guess whomever, whatever agency did that, there, there must be Red Sox fans, I guess. Is that, is that the deal here? Uh, just awful. I mean, the song stinks, first of all. Um, the guy singing it's annoying. He's screaming it in his car. It has not, I don't know what the point is supposed to be. It's just a terrible commercial. Just awful. And number two is a commercial that, I mean, it, when, when I see it, I immediately have to rush for the remote to either hit the mute button or change the channel because it is so irritating. It's for Amazon Prime, I believe. It's got this song, this like sort of sad, weepy song, um, and it's about this. It's, it's an Asian family. They have a little baby, and they have a dog, and there's a little lion stuffed animal. But the little baby, I guess they get a new dog, but the little the little precious baby doesn't like the dog. It won't play with the dog, but it likes the stuffed animal. So the father apparently then goes and buys, like this is a thing, I guess. He buys like a fake mane to put on the dog, which by the way, I'm sure the dog is thrilled about that. So that it looks more like the stuffed animal so that we can please the little precious baby. I mean, are you kidding me? God, that commercial is so bad on so many levels. So many levels. It basically sums up everything that's wrong with our society <laughs> and the ridiculous coddling of children. But, you know, I mean, you've got a little animal abuse thrown in there for good measure. I mean, and that song is beyond irritating. Ah, oh, it's like nails on a blackboard. Just the absolute worst. So bravo, Amazon Prime and Hyundai for airing two of the worst commercials uh, known to man. And then finally, uh, I said I was going to give you a TV recommendation. And uh, I forgot to do it on Monday, so apologies. But uh, just wrapped up watching season two of Master of None, uh, the show with Aziz Ansari, uh, formerly of um, Parks and Rec, and he's also a stand-up comedian. Honestly, all due respect, Game of Thrones, I love you. And all due respect to Better Things, Pamela Adlin, the Louis C.K. Pamela Adlin show, I love that too. Uh, Master of None is the best thing I've seen on TV in five years. It is so bleeping good, it's not even to be believed. The, the writing is tremendous. The characters are unbelievable. 
it, it's got a joyfulness and an optimism without being overly saccharine and corny. It's so good. I, I just, I, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I absolutely adore this show. Aziz Ansari, bravo. It is a tremendous show. But again, everybody on the show is great. A lot of guest stars this last season. Angela Bassett, who's fantastic. Um, you also had, uh, shoot, who else? Who am I missing? Um, oh, jeez. Anyway, uh, the, 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 the folks, the people who play his parents, the, the father in particular, is out unbelievably good. Uh, I mean, just overall, it's just a great, great show. Highly recommend it. All right, that is it for this week's show. As always, thank you for listening. Check me out on iTunes, on Twitter at Jamal about Sport and OS, and on Facebook. Enjoy all the sports this weekend, especially the football. Major League Baseball wraps up, and we'll be back on Monday to talk all about it. Peace out.